104 Points Online. We are honored that you're joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option. Or you can download our app and choose to get there as well. We are so excited to hear a powerful message from God's Word today. All right. How y'all doing? Good, 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 good. Thank you, thank you. Pastor Mark, got something to say to you. It's real spiritual and emotional. I love you like a fat kid loves cake, bro. For real. I used to be a fat kid, so I know what I'm talking about. And now I'm a fat man, so I guess I love you like a fat man loves cake, which seems weird, doesn't it? Hey, will y'all do me a favor just a second? I want to do something um, just for a second, if y'all would just give me a second. My mom and dad are sitting here. They came over from the other side of town. Y'all, will y'all raise your hands? I want to make you stand up. And my sister right here. Look, look, let me tell you something. Y'all been married how many years now? 52 years, right? Hold on. Let me tell you, growing up, I, I talked to all these people who tell me about how terrible their parents were. I cannot, now we're, we're crazy. Our family's crazy. Flat, flat down, we're crazy. But those people have never not been there for me, ever. So I just want to honor you. So let's say thank you to Mr. and Ms. Bradley for being here this morning. All right. Glad I could do that. I love y'all. And my beautiful wife sitting right here on the front row. Yes, ma'am. Um... Man, look, look, not only do I love Pastor Mark, love, love my family, but I just want you to know something. I love this church. Yes. We've been a part of this church now, as, as Pastor Mark said, for about nine months. And, and without giving too much away, let me tell you this. I have found and we have found a place of, of healing here. And uh, he's right. He's right when he says um, this church is a place of healing. And so I just, Four Pointers, I thank you for welcoming us into this family. And, and we um, are so thankful for you. We really, really are. You know, for the past four weeks, we've been in Galatians, right? And the, the, the theme of Galatians is freedom in Jesus, freedom in Christ. And, and I'm, I don't know if, you've, if it's impacted you in the way it's impacted me, but but it really, really has. The central idea of this book is what it means to live free. Now, we love the idea of freedom, don't we? Yes, we do. But life doesn't always feel like I'm living free, does it? There are some moments that I have that just don't feel free. They don't feel free. We've all heard the phrase, live free or die trying. How many of you have felt like you dying trying? Yeah. Right? Hashtag dying trying. Post that on Facebook. Or is Facebook a thing anymore? That's not the thing, is it? But it, it can. And, and, and let me tell you, the reason I think so many people have such a difficulty with this idea of freedom is this. is because we're used to, we're accustomed to American freedom. And I love it. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Right? I love America, right? I, I praise the Lord and pass the ammo. Come on, somebody, right? It just felt right. It felt right to mention ammunition, and I, I'm sorry, forgive me. But I do. I, I, I love America. I do love America. But I need you to. I need you. To, I need you to go with me and understand something. American freedom is very, very different than freedom in Christ. Very different. And because we're Americans, sometimes those lines get blurry, don't they? And we really begin to define freedom in a different way. So as opposed to thinking about it, defining freedom in the idea of being free in Christ, we'll define freedom like this. We'll say, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. That feels good, doesn't it? I mean, come on, you're an American. I mean, most of you. If you're not, don't tell anybody. You might, you know. just joking. Never mind. <laughs> freedom in Christ is very different than freedom in this country. 
And so if we think I get to do whatever I want to do and we come and we try to live our life in Christ under that paradigm, we're going to crash and burn because nothing about Christianity says we have rights. Mm. Let me tell you something. In Christ, we don't have any rights. You know, Jesus never said that. We, we think he did. We think Jesus shows up and says these things, and we live our lives based on these things that Jesus never, ever said. Jesus never said that we're guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Y'all okay? I mean, God wants us happy, right? I mean, why else would he have died on the cross? I mean, doesn't God want us happy? It just feels right that the Lord wants me to be happy in all my endeavors and everything I do. But let me tell you something. That is not a Christian idea. That's not God's purpose. That's not his hope. He wants us to be satisfied in him and have joy in him. But his goal for dying on the cross was not to make us happy. Are you happy? We do. We live our lives based on these things that Jesus never said. Jesus never said, I won't give you more than you can handle. You made that up. Mm -mm. That's not Jesus. Hashtag not Jesus. That's not him. He never said that, right? But we live our lives based on these ideas that Jesus never said. Jesus never said, if you're not first, you're last. That was Ricky Bobby. There's second and third and even fourth. Jesus never said these things, but we never ever see Jesus showing up. Like real talk, we never see Jesus showing up and demanding anything for himself. I mean, he was crucified, right? He claimed to be God and they killed him for it. And we never see Jesus just stomping his foot and saying, I am the son of God. No. In Christ, we don't have rights. We don't live with rights. And here's what I'll pose to you today. Is could it be that real freedom, freedom we have in Christ, could it be that that freedom is different than anything we might have ever considered to this point? Could it be that freedom in Christ is something that you've been searching for for your whole life and never really found it. And I don't know about you, but I tell you what, I'm asking this question. I'm asking this question. Is can it really be done? Have you ever wondered that? Like you come to church, you hear the messages, you hear the things that they have to say, and and I wonder, can it really be done? Can I live this life? Can I live this life? Like, I'm asking that question, and I bet you're asking that question, and the great thing about today is, is that the book of Galatians talks about freedom to us in a way like no other book in the whole New Testament does. It teaches us how to live free, how to have true freedom, a freedom in Christ that's not like any other freedom we've ever thought about. That freedom is only found in Jesus. And Paul's words, listen, he's writing this letter to the church in Galatia. And now we're in chapter six. We're at the end of that letter and he's wrapping it up, right? And he's putting the PS on the end of it and he's got some things to say and he wants us to know it's important. So look what he says in verse 11 right here. He says, look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. So Paul is going all caps, right? He's screaming at us saying, this is me, right? Hashtag listen up. Paul's saying this is the the end. He's P.S. I got some things to say. You need to understand this. He's saying look at what large letters. He understands that a lot of times when writers would write a letter, they would have a scribe do that for them. A lot of times that would be how they would actually write the letter. Paul's wanting them to understand, no, no, no. The pen's in my hand. Do you recognize my handwriting? This is something I have to say. And this is very, very important for the people in Galatia. Because what's happened in Galatia, the reason his words are so strong, is they now have believed a different gospel. They've believed a gospel that says, try harder, do better. They believed a gospel that says, yeah, yeah, Jesus 
But Jesus and, right? Jesus and. Jesus and. Listen, listen at verse 12. Listen to what it says. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. Now, when Pastor Mark asked me to preach this week, and I said, what am I going to be preaching about? He says, circumcision. Okay, all right. Exactly how you want me to handle this topic, you know, Mark. I'm not sure. But in the day, that makes sense to us, but in the day of this time, this was what it really meant. These, these Judaizers, right, these were people who were still holding on to the Jewish law. They said, yeah, Jesus is here. Jesus is, is now risen from the dead, and we want you to trust that. But we also want you to trust this other thing. It was Jesus and, right? And let me just tell you, the real gospel is not Jesus and anything. It's not Jesus saying, try harder, do better. Jesus saying, do this or do that. It's Jesus, and we trust in Jesus alone. And these people who are in the church at Galatia, they're tempted because some of their leaders are telling them, no, 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 no. It's Jesus saying. It's Jesus saying. So Paul says, you're trying to make a good impression. Can I, can I confess something? Is that okay? Sometimes... I'm tempted to try to impress people. Anybody else feel like that? Come on now. Anybody else feel pressure to try to feel important? Does anybody else feel like when you come to church, you just got to put on a nice face and look good and say blessings to you, brother? I'm so glad we're worshiping together in the glory of the Lord this morning. I almost killed my four children on the way here. <laughs> but they're smiling as soon as the door of the car opened. The Lord rained down on us with the peace of God. And now everything's going to be all right. Amen. How many of you have ever felt like that on the way to church? On the way to church, you're checking your three-year-old for weapons. But you get here and it's like hands up, right? Right? <laughs> It's easy to fall into that trap to think, man, I just got to live in a certain way so certain people think a certain thing about me. Hey, listen, that's not freedom. Galatians teaching us how to live in Christ, have freedom in Christ. That's not freedom. Now you're living under something that you don't even like. You've changed yourself to a new law, and you don't even like it. And guess what? You can't even do it. Right. I mean, think about, think about people who are just completely far from God and don't have a relationship with God, church, nothing. Go to them and ask them what their standard is. Hey, what's your standard? Should you lie? No, you shouldn't lie. That's terrible. Should you kill people? Well, sometimes, no. <laughs> Should you kill? No, no, that's wrong. But ask them, have you ever lied? Well, if I have to. You see, they can't even keep up with the standard that they set in their own life. And now when you do that, even in these walls, you now live under, you live under that standard and it condemns you. It chains you. It binds you up. That's not freedom. Real freedom is not a list of do's and don'ts for you. And we set a standard that we can't keep up with. We can't keep up with it, and neither could they. Listen to this, verse 13. For even, the, for even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised. Why? So they could boast in you. So they could say, look what he did. He's my disciple. Look how he's living. Look how pretty he is. He is. Look how clean his life is. Look, look, look. And that's about them. That's not about Jesus. That's not freedom. And here's what happens. We create a standard. We tell a lie. And then we have to live by the lie. Oh, I got to do this so I can impress these people. And now you have to live by the lie that you told. You now have to live by that and die by that lie that you told. And here's what happens. You create a list of stuff. I need to do this. I need to do this so Jesus is proud of me. 
I need to do this. I need to do this. So the pastor thinks I'm okay. And you do nothing but just wrap yourself up in chains. And you think, oh, man, how will I do it? How can I do it? How could I possibly live this way? And here's, here's what will happen to you. You become convinced that you're not good enough. Part of the fall, part of the sin in our hearts is that we believe that we're failing in a unique way like no one else is failing. We come and we say, you know what? I, I know he, he's done all that for me. I just need to do better so he'll be proud of me. And it's like I'm on this side and Jesus is on this side and we're over here and we're just saying, I'm trying I'm trying to get to you, and our sin is in the middle, keeping us from Jesus. And we think, man, I just got to try harder. If I could just try harder, I can get some of the sin out of the way, and I can finally get to the thing I really want, which is him. Jesus, I, lo I love you. I'm, try I'm trying. And every day, come here to this pile of sin, and we're shoveling it out. Some of us need a bulldozer. I got a bunch of sin in here, right? And no matter what we do, that pile just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus just seems like he's further and further and further away. That's not freedom. Freedom is not come to Jesus, clean up, look better, try harder, do more. That's not freedom. That's not the message that we preach at this church is to come here and clean it up and get it right and bring it and present it. That's not the gospel. That's not freedom. My friend, John Lynch, who wrote the book True Faced, he calls it this. He calls it the Santa Claus is coming to town theology. Right? You see, we couldn't handle God. We can't handle Jesus saying, I'll take care of your sin. You just come on over here. I got it. So we created Santa Claus. But the truth is, we can't handle Santa Claus. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. And he's making a flipping list. <laughs> he is. He says it. He's not going to just make a list. He's going to check it two times. He's going to make sure... He's gone through this list to figure out what you're doing. Why? Because he's going to find out who's naughty and who's nice. This is the naughty side of the room. This is the nice side of the room. This had to do it that way. I don't even know. I don't know who I want to hang out with more, just to be truthful. Right? But, but this is it's terrible. This is stuff I, I put that on a list of stuff not to say out loud. But it, it, you understand, like, this idea that we've created. And this is our theology. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. He sees me when I'm sleeping, which is just strange. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, this is confession time. As a child, I had a great deal of anxiety, and now I know why. I was always worried about an elder, elderly, overweight, bearded white man looking in my window at what I'm doing. That's wrong. Go away, Santa. <laughs> Hashtag go away. <laughs> oh, man. He knows if you've been bad or good. So good for goodness sake. After all he's done for you, why wouldn't you want to do it for him? I mean, you know, Jesus, Jesus gave everything. Can't you live for him? I mean, you know, so much of our Christian life is wrapped around what we're not going to do. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm working hard for Jesus. After all he's done for me, doesn't he deserve that from me? And here's the equation. Here's the equation that we begin to live by, and our church culture is poisoned with this false gospel in the same way that the church at Galatians was poisoned. Church at Galatians was poisoned with the false gospel. It said Jesus and, and in our culture, we say the same thing. And here's the equation right here. More good behavior plus less bad behavior equals godliness. That's not freedom. 
That don't feel good. It doesn't feel good to live by that standard, but we create it and we live by it and it condemns us and we stay wrapped up in fear and condemnation and never ever experience what Jesus intended for us to experience because we're trying so flipping hard. That's not the gospel. A lot of you spend some time worrying about, did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Or did I mean that prayer? It was summer camp. I prayed that prayer. How many of y'all prayed a prayer at summer camp? Come on. I did it every year. You can't miss it. And you got, you got to say it every year. I got saved every summer. When they said, who doesn't want to go to hell? I was like, me? I don't want to go to hell. Hell sounds bad. Where do I go? Come down here and fill out this card. I'm like, done. Anything else I need to do? <laughs> I don't want to go to hell. Hell sounds like a terrible place. I watched the movie about hell when I was a kid, and I cried. Another reason I'm in counseling, hashtag help, right? So I understand what it means to live under that fear. But that is not the gospel. So many of you are living thinking, if I can do more, if I can just... Go the distance if I can cross the divide, if I can deal with my sin. I can finally just get to Jesus and one day, one glorious day, I'll be with him. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Your life, if you're a believer, you want to know what it looks like? A life marked by confession and repentance every day. Listen, you need somebody close to you, you're confessing to. I have that in some friends. And some of the times I call them and they hang up on me. I don't want to hear that today. Your life is marked by confession to other believers and by a posture of you turning away from that sin and turning to Jesus and understanding that what Jesus is saying is I've already dealt with your sin and I'm not on the other side of sin from you. You're over here with me and we're looking at your sin together. And Jesus is going, that's a lot of sin, bro. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but my blood will cover it. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's real freedom. Living based on what Jesus did and not what I could do to earn my way in. J.D. Greer, guy wrote the book, the name Gospel, if you hadn't read it, great book. He says this, the gospel is not just how we begin in Christ. It's how we grow in Christ. See, we think we come to the gospel and go, yay, I'm done with that. Now I must grow. And the way I grow is praying more, reading more, doing more, giving more. You can't do enough. You can't pray enough. You can't read enough. You can't give enough. Wait, we need to pay the land off. You can't pray enough. Right? <laughs> hashtag promise. Uh, that's a lot of hashtags for one service. It's true. You see, the God, as J.D. Greer said in his book, the gospel's not just the diving board into the pool of faith. The gospel is the pool itself. So every day I wake up and I realize there's my sin. What am I trusting for my sin? My own accomplishments to cross the divide? No, I'm trusting that Jesus has already dealt with it through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And I put my trust in what Jesus can do and not what I can do. That's freedom. That's what Paul's telling us. Live free. So what do we do? There is a standard. This doesn't mean you can live any way you want to live. No. It means we live in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. So what do we do? Like, this would be a bad place to end the message, right? We're all terrible people. Thanks for coming to Four Points. We'll see you next Sunday. There are four ways to give. Please check out the video on the screens. Enjoy hell. Amen. Right? <laughs> That'd be a bad way to end it. It's not really the hope that we have in Jesus. So Paul tells us in verse 14 exactly how. Listen, listen to what he says in 14. Now remember, remember the context, right? He's writing this to the church at Galatia, and he's encouraging them not to believe a false gospel. This verse has a truth for us. 
that we won't believe a false gospel. It says this, but as for me, Paul's saying about him, I'll never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Have you thought about what it might mean for you to boast in the cross? Here, here, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Now, now here's what I want you to do. Don't, th- when I'm saying this, when I'm asking you these questions, answer them right now. Not out loud. Just right there. Answer, answer these questions. I want to ask you. How are you boasting in the cross today? No, no, no. I didn't ask you when you prayed some prayer. I didn't ask you that. How are you boasting in the cross today? How are you trusting today what Jesus has already done for you? He said, but Josh, I did that when I was 14. How are you trusting today what Jesus has already done for you? How are you trusting that? Do you know what he did? Pastor Mark preached about it week two. The great exchange. Scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of Christ. He did it. You can't. He already did. Jesus has accomplished it for you on your behalf. Your growth in a Christian life is not pray more, read more, study more, give more, serve more. It is trust more. That's the equation. Every time you are tempted to trust yourself and your ability to deal with your sin, you push all in on what Jesus has done. All in. All in. The cross. Jesus' life. His death, his resurrection has bought and paid for every ounce of sin that you could ever accomplish on your own. Now, this is hard. Because if you're going to trust Jesus, if you're going to trust Jesus, you have to push away from the temptation to trust any other thing that you might boast in. Come on now. Are y'all with me? This is hard because we're good church people. Y'all in church today. There's some people that can't even walk a straight line this morning after yesterday's football. Y'all good people, right? I mean, we're good people, right? But we have to push away from the temptation to boast in anything that we do in our own power to try to connect with God, anything even the good things. It's hard for Christians because there's a lot of things that we do we feel good about. This Bible study, that Bible study, how much money we gave, how many people we did this for, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. What is that for you? And my question would be for you, have you spent a lifetime trusting in that more than you trust in Jesus? What do we do? We turn away from our own accomplishments. And we trust what he's done. Football season started yesterday. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I, I sent a message out yesterday. said, it's like Christmas, only better. I didn't have to buy anybody anything or wrap anything up or clean up for my four children. Amen. I love football, right? I love the sidelines of a football field. I think we call that the holy of holies where I'm from. It's awesome. You know, before I, a few years back, I was a chaplain of a local high school football team. Loved it. And there's nothing I love quite more than being in the locker room before a football game. Glory, hallelujah. Right, you know that, moment, guys, you, you, this is where the men are like, yeah, I like this guy. He's talking about football. This is the kind of Jesus I love, right? <laughs> Jesus in shoulder pads, come on. 
<laughs> I would love when the coach would get up and boast in the team, right? That other team came in here, and they're trying to disrespect you. Are you going to be disrespected? And I'm over there being the chaplain, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to be disrespected. Give me a helmet, let's roll. I probably got some eligibility left even though I'm 41 years old, amen? And you just get kind of jacked up, right? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm over there going, oh, Lord. So this coach is talking. And then as soon as he's done talking, it's my turn to pray. And he's been boasting. And I get up there and I go, I pray some crazy stuff in locker rooms. Lord Jesus, may the fire of heaven fall on the other team and burn them to a crisp. May you loosen every tendon from their legs. God, may their knees buckle as they bow in reverence to your Holy One. Jesus, help us win this game. Amen and amen. That's how I would pray. I love it. You see what it means to boast in something? Take confidence in something? Step into it? I love it. Love a football field. Yesterday, college football started. How many of y'all love college football? Mm-hmm. Pastor Mark. I love you, brother. I mean, I love you with an everlasting love, straight from the Father. But as of yesterday at 12:20, we become mortal enemies for just a few months. Because I think the land of glory resides just on the other side of Greenville County. Hashtag go Tigers. Now, I've been noticing for the past few weeks. They've been showing reruns of the games from previous seasons. I saw the football game last year between Alabama and Georgia. National Championship 2017. I didn't want to watch that. I'm looking, I'm like, I hate, I hate everybody. I hate them all. When they go to the NFL, I love them. Not now, they're terrible people. I hate the coaches. I don't even, I turn in the channel. You watch that game and you're like, Arr. and you know, the game from 2015 was between the Clemson Tigers and Alabama, and I hated that game. I'm going to tell you why. I got time now. Y'all remember the onside kick from Alabama? The devil did it. <laughs> I knew when I saw Nick Saban smile, we was in trouble. I never seen his face move. When he smiled, this is done. But I hate watching that game. I don't want to watch that game, but let me tell you something. On my DVR at home is the 2016 National Championship game between the Clemson Tigers and the other team, of which we will not name. And I love watching that game. I mean, the night I watched that game, I thought I was going to have a stroke at least nine times. I, I didn't sit down the whole night. I'm screaming at my TV. But now I can watch the game, and I know. It looks like we're going to lose. We're not going to lose. I know. I've just seen this game, right? And I know. I know. I know. At the end of that game, number four, Deshaun Watson, straight from the Lord. Uh-huh. Y'all know where this is going. If you're not a Clemson fan, I'm sorry. You'll be more happy with Pastor Mark when he's talking about that other team. There we go. Thank you. I know Deshaun Watson is coming down that field. And I know at the end of that game, Hunter Renfro is going to run right out there into the end zone. He's going to turn around. Maybe, he, maybe, maybe there was an illegal pick involved. I'm not going to be talking about that. But he turned around, and he catches that football every time. I watch it over and over again. Renee would be like, what you doing, Josh? I'll be to bed in a minute, baby. It's a minute and 34 seconds left. We got I'm coming. And I watch it over and over and over, and at the end, everything happens. Listen, I'm, I can't tell you how jacked up I was that night. I can't tell you. I cried. I didn't want to admit I was crying, so I got closer to the TV. <laughs> Josh, what you doing over there? Nothing, nothing. I ain't crying. You're crying. I'm a groom. I didn't even play in the game, and I'm crying. Oh, my Lord. It's just like the Lord came down that night. I was so excited. Now, why could I watch that game now and be so comfortable? 
even though during the game it don't look good, why can I know that I'm okay? Because the game has already been won. Right? Do you see, listen, do you see how now I can watch it in confidence because it's already been won and I had nothing to do with the win. I didn't call up my buddies and say, y'all see what I did in front of my TV? I cried and it made Deshaun throw that fast. It was perfect. I had nothing to do with it. Nothing. I just watched it. And now I can boast in someone else's accomplishments. Now, watch this. Now, I can boast on what's been done for me. I'm clothed in righteousness right now. Come on. Hey, listen. Listen. Some of you, you've been fighting your whole life trying to grab onto something that's already been won for you. You've been struggling your whole life to try to do what Jesus has already done. You want to know what real freedom is? Real freedom is for me to live the truth of what Jesus says I am. That's real freedom. And who does he say I am? He says I'm a son. My daddy's here. I know what it means for a father to love you, but let me say, I have my own children. I know what it means for me to love them. But the love my father has for me far outweighs any love we could possibly have in our human emotion. I'm a son. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. When he sees me, he sees Jesus' righteousness and not my failures or inability to try harder. Because at the end of the day, I can't. I tried it. How many of y'all have tried it and you can't? I can't. He can. I can't. He already did. Real freedom is trusting his accomplishments and not mine. 2010, my wife and I, as Pastor Mark said a little earlier, planted a church started a new church nearby community. We planted a church that some people would say is successful. We loved it. We leveraged our life for it, didn't we? I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done, and I would never, ever, ever change it. I love those people. And along the way, some bad things happened that affected me real negatively. Some things happened that were real close to me. And it took a toll on me. It took a real toll. So I isolated away. I had to go into protect mode, right? I've already been hurt. Nobody else is going to hurt me. You got me once. You're not going to get me twice. Many of you said things like that about your life. You've been there. So I stopped trusting people. I stopped talking to people. I didn't trust anybody. I thought everybody was going to put a knife right in my back. I wondered about the people, the the closest people to me, what they were going to try to do to me next. Even down to my own home. Man. It It was the most difficult thing I'd ever gone through. January 2015, normal Sunday morning, just like this. I'm standing here, had a mic on just like this one. I'm standing in front of about the same many people. All of a sudden, in the middle of my message, I lose the ability to breathe. I couldn't talk. And I thought, I must be having a heart attack. So I did like what any normal person would do. I kept preaching, thinking if I just get through, I'll go to the hospital at the end, right? I said, well, you know, I don't know what that was. I'm fine. I, doctor said I'm fine. I'll, I'll just try it again next week. I get up next week. I take an inhaler. said, okay, I'll be good. 
Same thing. I'm five minutes in. It hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm trying to finish. I tried to fake it. I mean, I couldn't let anybody know I was weak, right? I mean, because we pastors, we got it together, don't we? We don't have any problems, no shortcomings. Our number one goal is just convincing you that we have it all together all the time. Nope. I just tell you right now, can I say this? I'm a hot mess. I got any other hot messes in the room? Come on. Week three, same thing. Week four, same thing. By week six, I'm sitting on a stool. You was there, sitting on a stool, holding on to a table, trying not to fall off of my stool. A few weeks later, I had to write my resignation to the church I planted, to the people I loved. I'd married their children. I'd buried some of my very best friends. They still are my friends. I had to leave them. I had to say, I'm out. I had to parachute, pull the cord. I can't do it. My doctor looked at me and said, if you keep on, you won't live. You will die. And I went into a serious state of depression. Days on end, I'd be in the bed, wouldn't I? Couldn't get out. I mean, I remember one Saturday, beautiful day. I went to bed five times in a row. I would go to bed and I would realize there's daylight outside and I would have to get up, put my clothes back on. And then a few minutes later, I'd go back to bed, go through my normal nighttime routine. I, I, I stayed in the bed like that for months. I had a church just, I don't know if you know this, a church just wrote Renee and I a check for three months salary just so I could heal. That's, that's, how, that's how bad it got for me. And I'll tell you this, and, and what I'm about to say I don't say lightly. I wanted to die. I did. I, I thought I had failed everybody. I'd failed my family. I mean, I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars we dumped into that place. The community, not, not just me, everybody. And I thought, man, I can't believe I messed it up. I let them down. You see, all my value was in my own accomplishment. And when I say I wanted to die, I really did. And if I could have figured out a way to die without killing myself, I'd have done it. But I couldn't imagine leaving my wife here, my babies, my family. That battle raged in me. So for three and a half years, the Lord continued to heal me. And slowly, I became aware of the fact and was diagnosed with PTSD. But you see, I was embarrassed by that. Because that's something soldiers have, right? There's some honor in that. For me, it felt weak. You mean, just be on a stage? I mean, I even messed that up. What you don't know, January 2015 is the last time I stood on a stage and preached a message like this until this morning. Last time. Don't, don't clap yet. I'm, I'm not done. <laughs> but what happened in me is I slowly began to believe that he cared for me. You see, I slowly began to understand that what he was doing was protecting me from myself. I slowly began to understand that my confidence is from Jesus and not my own ability. I'll just tell you, I'm tempted even today to trust my own ability. It will fail me every time. And your ability and your accomplishment will fail you. I was in my office right in the middle of this chaotic, depressive, anxiety, 
moment and one of my very good pastor friends stopped by. His name's Kevin. Kevin said, Josh, this morning I woke up and God gave me a verse for you and he told me to drive over here to your office and give it to you. I wanted help, you know. I said, well, this has got to be good, right? It's from the Lord. It's going to give me something to free me up out of this mess. And here's what he said. James chapter 4, verse 8. He said, Josh, God told me to tell you, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Can I tell you the truth? I didn't understand it. I was mad. I'm thinking, really, God? I've done all this for you and you're going to bring that to me? Draw near to you, really? How much more could I draw to you? I've given everything. I crashed. You see, I tried, to, I tried to sustain something under my own power that could only be sustained by God's power. And I crumbled under the weight, just like you will crumble under the weight of your stuff if you don't turn it over to Jesus and trust Jesus. I became more and more dependent on me, and what Jesus wanted for me was to be dependent on him. A few months later, I was reading through James, and I ran across this verse. I was like, huh, draw near to God. Well, we tried that, didn't we? <laughs> and I didn't know why it was there. I didn't know why it was for me. And I looked, and I read the verse two verses before it, which is James 4, verse 6. Here's what it says. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And for the first time, I realized that I had been trusting me and that what Jesus was doing was carving out of me a deep pride in my own ability and accomplishments. It felt good to walk into a room, Pastor Mark, when people said, wow, you realize how fast your church is growing? Do you realize how many people you're baptizing? Do you realize how many people came on Easter? Felt good. And I began to believe it. I began to believe it. It wasn't true, though. You see, every good gift is from where? From Him. And I had spent a lifetime trusting in my own ability to do something that only God could do. Now, here's the thing for you. You get to choose. I mean, right where you are this morning, here's what I want to ask you. What are you boasting in? Is it your own ability? Is it your own accomplishments? Or is it what Jesus has already done for you? I can't. He can. I can't. He already did. Trust it release it. Let go of the temptation to do it on your own. And when you think, when you think I'm not good enough, when you think I can't agree, y'all want to see? I'm still a mess just like anybody. I have a cheat sheet up here for when I might freak out. Look what it says. Jesus is proud of me. It's true. Don't hide from my weakness. Why? Because he's done something in me and I think God wants to heal some of you. God wants to set some of you free. And the freedom that comes from Jesus will never let you down. It will sustain every sin, every darkness, every depression, every piece of fallenness that you feel like, every piece of brokenness. Your family's falling apart. He can handle it because he died. That's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't come just to make your life better. He comes to take the brokenness that you bring and put it back together. It's his favorite thing to do. He loves you. He died for you. He went all in for you. And sometimes we fight him going, no, I don't need it. I don't need it. I can do it on my own. Trust Jesus. Trust him. Stop trying to do it on your own and trust him. That's the message. And that's real freedom. Pray with me this morning. 
Father, we are thankful for the good news of Jesus. God, the healing message of the cross and the resurrection sets us free. That, that message we've been preaching, God, here for, for weeks in Galatians is how we live free in you. And so, God, today we pray that those who are here listening to this message would respond. God, I pray that they would surrender their rights to you. I pray that they would surrender their own ability to you, Jesus. Some of you are here this morning, and for the first time, you might realize you've never really trusted that message of the gospel. And my prayer to you, my, my prayer for you is that today would be your day. Step in it. Boast in it. I, I just want to ask you, if it's you right now and you know, that's something I want. I can't do it on my own. He's already done it. That's something I want. If that's you, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you'll just lift up your hand right there in your seat, I'll pray for you. Right here, I see you. Thank you so much. Who else this morning would say, I can't do it anymore. I want to trust you. Who else would say that with me? Just lift your hand right there where you are. God, thank you so much for saving us from ourselves. God, in the nastiness of sin, we trust you. Christians, some of you, you've been living a try-harder, do-better life for a long time. And here's what I ask you to do this morning. We're going to sing. Shannon, Morgan, these guys up here, they're going to lead us. And we just don't get up here and sing for the heck of it. We are singing to him the truths that we just heard out of his word. So today we're going to sing, our hope is in Jesus, that he's our living hope, that we're not our own hope, he's our hope. So what I ask you to do is when I pray and we get done and we sing together, you sing to the top of your lungs with everything you got, the truths that will sustain every piece of brokenness in your life. Father, we love you. We lift our praises high to you today. God, we pray that you would be enthroned on those praises and we pray that people would continue to move towards you and trust you, maybe today for the first time. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.